0: A short break in the weather today before another storm rolls into the Midwest overnight. And then it gets cold. That's likely to slow livestock and grain movement. Let's take a look at current beef demand and how it might hold up in early 2024. And the risk of SREs are back in the spotlight. We'll get the latest.
1: Live from the 1st, 11th, via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This morning, we begin with a conversation with Joe Kakish from Growth Energy. Then it's Professor Glenn Tonsor from Kansas State University. And directly following the news, Greg Henderson from Drovers. I'm the handsome newsman, Davis Michelson. And now, welcome the host of AgriTalk, Jeff Flory. All right, Davis, thank you so much,
0: hey, buddy. buddy. Yeah. Um, Yeah, huh? here we are in 19 degrees. Uh-huh. Kind of overcast skies out there. Kind and I'm calling this a break in the weather. And and it seriously is. We don't have much wind today. Yep. Kids are back in school in northeast Iowa. Um, doubtful, doubtful that they are going to be in school tomorrow because another storm is rolling in overnight, dude.
1: Yeah, yep. bringing and uh, coming along with that, some dangerously cold temperatures that yep. look like they're, uh, they'll be with us into next week, Chip.
0: Yeah, into next week. Uh, we've got... We we've got daytime highs below zero degrees up here in northeast Iowa for three consecutive days next
1: week. Yeah, no,
0: that's that's putting the chill into things. There's there's no question. If uh if you've got a a live an automatic waterer out there that gives you some fits from time to time, it's probably mm-hmm. going to be giving you fits next week.
1: Absolutely, yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. Yep, <laughs> no you got, question. You got lambs, or you know. Use yeah. about ready to lamb. Yeah, it's yeah. coming. It's coming yeah. this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Might be a little no early,
0: doubt. actually. But. No doubt. All right. Uh, we're going to talk with Henderson about what this weather means for the cash cattle market and some beef movement. Um, Joe Kakish from uh, Growth Energy is going to be with us to talk about, how the, just give us the latest development on SREs, uh, the, uh, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals has told EPA that they haven't been interpreting the RFS correctly. We'll find out what's going on there. And then we're going to talk beef demand. Glenn Tonzer is going to be here with the details from his meat demand monitor.
1: All right, let's get to the news. Chip, let's start with the National Weather Service Weather Outlook, where they're looking for strong, low-pressure systems to develop over the southern plains and bring widespread rain, snow, and wind for the eastern half of the nation Meanwhile, dangerously cold temperatures for the northern Rockies and Plains through this weekend, Chip.
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely. Big big time uh, potential for a big time storm tonight and, and some dangerous conditions next week.
1: Hey, check this out, Chip. Private exporters reported sales of 175,000 metric tons of corn for delivery yeah. to Mexico during the 23-24 marketing year. A daily sale, baby.
0: Yeah, a value buyer, a traditional buyer, the number one buyer of u.s corn is back in the market that's a good thing
1: what's well, if the securities and exchange commission has approved 11 exchange traded funds holding bitcoin the first time the agency has permitted the trading of funds directly invest- invested in a cryptocurrency the new funds known as spot bitcoin etfs because they buy and sell the digital currency itself are expected to begin trading today Federal Reserve Bank of New York President John Williams said monetary policy is now tight enough to guide inflation back to the Fed's target, but suggested policymakers need more evidence of cooling inflation before cutting interest rates.
0: That right there is a hold interest rates where they're at for a longer period of time than what the market anticipates. Mm -hmm. That's the message that I got from that comment.
1: Well, inflation moderated less than expected last month, according to government data released just today, potentially tempering the bullish case behind the stock market's historic run in recent months. Consumer prices ticked up the most in three months from November to December, bringing annualized inflation to 3.4 percent, hotter than average economist estimates.
0: Yeah, that move. And we've talked about this so many times, Davis, Mm -hmm. getting it from a 9 percent rate to a 6 percent rate. That's not easy. And, and But it's easier than getting it from a 3% rate to a 2% rate. It gets harder as you get closer to your target.
1: Well, so the International Energy Agency, or IEA, reported a significant increase in the deployment of renewable energy in the past year, primarily driven by China, which contributed to a 50% rise in global renewable energy capacity. However, this growth, while promising, falls short of the UN-agreed target. China contributing to a 50% rise in global renewable energy capacity, what? Come on, that is just China showing us
0: how hungry they are for energy because nobody has put up more coal-powered plants than China in the last three years.
1: Well said. Well, instead of utilizing the Panama Canal, major shipping company AP Mahler Maersk will employ a land bridge approach using rail transport to cover the 49.7 miles of Panama's terrain. Wow. This move is in response to the challenges posed by the ongoing low water levels in the canal. Wow. Chip, I mean, do load, they load unload yeah. right load Yes. Oh. I mean, can Holy that be How can it be that that's cheaper? Cuz you also I... got to rent a train, you know? Right. That's not cheap. That is crazy. We'll have to dig into yeah. that a little bit more. Good one. Nutty stuff. Well, a group of House conservatives dissatisfied with a spending deal reached by Speaker Mike Johnson with Democrats narrowly blocked a procedural vote on Wednesday. Republican leadership canceled an afternoon vote series following the revolt. This rebellion resulted in 13 Republicans joining Democrats to vote against the rule for a set of unrelated bills, preventing the House from debating and voting on those measures. I'm not sure what this means, Chip, but it does not sound like progress to me, buddy.
0: Yeah, nobody's getting along is what this means, Davis. Mm, mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. nobody likes the idea of a short-term CR. We talked with uh, uh, Colin Peterson about this yesterday. Uh, The short-term CR isn't what they want. Long-term CR isn't what they want. And they can't make a deal on the appropriation. So I don't know where we're going to end up in all of this. Thanks, man. We'll talk to you later. You bet. All right. uh, Let's bring in Greg Henderson, editorial director at Drovers. How you doing, bud?
2: Well, Chip, I'm extremely fortunate. I don't have tickets to that Chiefs-Dolphins game Saturday night.
0: <laughs> That's going to be chilly. There's no kick question off, about it.
2: <laughs> Kickoff below zero. Yep. And the wind chill. And, you know... Man, yeah. it's one thing to be feeding cattle where you're moving around a little bit, but just yep. to go sit and watch oh. a game would just be miserable, wouldn't
0: it? Yeah, uh, I would have more hand warmers and toe warmers and butt warmers than I'd, than I could carry on me. There's no doubt about that.
1: The touchdowns will keep us warm, Greg. Uh, <laughs> <The> touchdowns,
0: <laughs> all of them. Oh, oh man, what's this so? weather yeah. doing to the to to the cattle? Well,
1: market?
2: you know. Chip, it's having a major impact, and and a lot of people are saying they can't remember, you know, in recent memory at least, uh, a weather event that's had uh, as much impact. Slaughter yesterday was uh, on on Tuesday, I should say, ninety four thousand head, and that was down twenty five percent from a week earlier, and that's because Tyson and Cargill and and some other Packers had to close uh, their plants. Uh, Some of the workers even spent the night in the plant because the road conditions were so bad um, at the at the Tyson plant anyway. Um, So, you know, it was a major disruption. And and we expect that to be positive for cash prices, Chip. Positive if you can get your cattle to market right Right. and get them harvested. So that the wholesale beef prices are the thing that has improved this week because of that tight production. And they're up about $3 yesterday. So, um, you know, last week, Sterling Marketing estimated cattle feeders lost $160 a headship.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see how that straightens out here this week. And we've got Glenn Tonser on to talk about some beef demand here in just a moment. Thanks, Greg.
3: Thank you.
1: The best talkers in ag, including you. Join the conversation on Agritalk. Call us at 855-4-TALK-AG.
0: And welcome back to Agritalk. I'm Chip Flora, your host. Glad that you are with us on this Thursday morning. Man, Davis, Thursday morning hey, already.
1: Thursday already. It's Free the for all of 24 January. hours from now. It's one eleven. Tomorrow will be one twelve. Yeah. Right. And USDA reports tomorrow. I'm here oh, to tell you smokes. This one, as I hear, it could be a market mover. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Quarterly Grain Stocks report has a history of doing stuff like that. Indeed. All right. Uh, Joe Kakish is the general counsel for growth energy. He joins us right now. Joe, how are you? Thanks for making time.
6: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Appreciate being here.
0: Yeah. OK, so growth energy file two petitions for rehearing With the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals regarding the court's 2023 decision, I think it came in November, on small refinery exemptions under the Renewable Fuel Standard. That's right. Joe, you got to help me out. What does all this mean? What is a petition for rehearing?
6: So let me just lay this out. So as you said, the Fifth Circuit issued an opinion that was uh, wrong on the law and wrong on the facts. And it there are different options for trying to get the court or some court to fix those errors. One way to do that is to go back to the fifth circuit. Okay. And point out those errors and give them an opportunity to correct the opinion before we take any further steps. Right? So that's the petition for rehearing. And you can do the petition for rehearing in two different ways. One is to go back to the original three judge panel. That's the, that's the panel rehearing. The second option is to go back to the entire set of judges in the Fifth Circuit. That's called the on-bank petition. And because of the way the, the rules work in the court, parties will often seek petitions for rehearing both at the panel level and at the on-bank level at the same time, which is what okay. we did here uh, this week.
0: Okay. Going back to the three judges that passed the original opinion and saying, "Hey, you were wrong." I mean, that's what—that's the bottom line on this, it, right? Is is basically right. to tell the judges that they were wrong in their opinion.
6: Well, you know, there, and that's this is not unexpected. There is there are there are rules already written in place that contemplate this very possibility. It's really mm-hmm. done for the purposes of judicial efficiency. Uh, to avoid the the necessity um, for further appeals in different courts and to allow the a court that has more experience with the case to address the issues uh, once again before you you know seek an appeal to the Supreme Court. So that's why it's there. And our you know our main bone of contention here, yeah. which is an important one and a serious one, is related to what's called venue, which is which court is the right court to hear this case? And in our view and in EPA's view, it's not the Fifth Circuit. And here's why. When, a, when EPA makes decisions about small refinery exemptions, that has a nationwide impact because, as yes. you know, whoever is obligated to blend under the renewable fuel standard will be impacted by a refiner who is then exempted from it because they have to make up right, the loss of those right. gallons. So even if it's a local decision with a local refinery, it has reverberations across the country and across the entire market for for what are called RINs, you know, um, renewable fuel. So the only proper place to take this case is the D.C. Circuit. And that case is also occurring uh, as we speak. It's a little further behind the Fifth Circuit. Okay. What's even you know more notable is that many other circuit courts have already agreed with us and said, you know what, I'm not touching this case. I'm going to send it to the D.C. circuit where it belongs.
0: OK, so what it, what does the timeline look like on this petition for the rehearing?
6: So there are no rules requiring when the panel responds to any petition for rehearing. But here's there are different and there are different pathways that it could take. So the panel and the full court could just reject the petitions outright, which would be a final action by the court with respect to rehearing. That's number one. Number two is before they make any decisions about whether to deny or grant, they will call for more briefing from the parties on the issue to further elaborate the issues, uh, legal and factual issues raised in the petition, which is really not that long of a document at the end of the day, so that may require additional briefing. And then from that point, they may deny the petition or grant it and issue a new opinion. The third option is the most direct one, um, you know, that's positive is that the court in response to the briefings presented in the petitions will revise their opinion and issue a new opinion. So there's okay. many different paths uh, forward for us here.
0: Okay, and the bottom line here, and, and again, please, Joe, fix me if I'm wrong on this. Uh, <laughs> the, the the Biden administration has not shown much interest in granting SREs. The the Biden EPA does the existing court ruling as it stand or decision as it stands today raise the likelihood that SREs will be granted.
6: Well, look, in the Fifth Circuit, which covers Louisiana, Mississippi, and Texas, the current law that's being challenged by the court is that SREs can be granted in accordance with the way the court has laid it out, right? So it's not about whether EPA is more likely or less likely. They just have to follow what the Fifth Circuit standards are on the merits. Okay. But I doubt they'll take any action. Right now, while these cases are pending, you have to understand they're the case in the 11th Circuit, uh, which covers Georgia and Florida and Alabama still pending. And then the nationwide D.C. Circuit case. So right now, you have a lot of uncertainty across the country about just what the standards are and who's the right court to make those determinations.
0: Okay. so if the the petition for rehearing is denied the Supreme court is the next step.
6: That would be, well, that would be your only option to, to appeal from the fifth circuit. Right. Okay. Because that's the next level of court. So then if, if someone were to pursue that from the fifth circuit, you'd file what's called a petition for certiorari, a lot of Latin right there, Mm -hmm. um, which is basically a request to the Supreme court to take up this case. Okay. And the Supreme court, as you know, gets, thousands of uh, petitions every year probably eight or nine thousand and they grant maybe one percent or more of all of those granted so your chances of ever getting cert are quite low in the abstract however here you have the potential of there being different opinions within different courts across the country about for example this question about which court should answer this decision because right now Let's say you have a fifth circuit decision that's negative for the industry, but a DC circuit decision that's positive for the industry there then you have what's called a circuit split in some ways where a regulated party such as a refiner or the you know, biofuels industry just doesn't know what the standard is from time you know from moment to moment or they're faced with competing standards depending on the geography of the refinery. And we can't okay. you know that's not an ideal situation. So that could, provide a little extra impetus for the court to take it up.
0: All right. What's the best outcome here,
6: Joe? Two things. The best outcome is that the Fifth Circuit, uh, you know, decides rightly that it was wrong to take this case in the first case. That's number one. That disputes about small refinery exemptions ought to be determined, you know, assessed and resolved in the D.C. Circuit. That's number one. That's on the okay. procedure. Number two is on the merits. EPA's analysis of small refinery exemption eligibility is the right one, right? It says you are you have to show that your attempt to comply with the RFS is causing economic hardship for you, right? You have to, um, you know, EPA has a, an economic view about the role that RFS cost plays in overall pricing such that costs are passed through. They do a very individual, you know, a detailed analysis. And, you know, I think there's an issue here about this deference to agency expertise. EPA, EPA's got it, and they got to be given the flexibility to, to exercise that authority uh, that they have, you know, you know, been doing over the past several years. So there, there's two outcomes. One is on the procedure, one is on the merits, and we're hoping we get both.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Got about 30 seconds left here. What's the status of year-round availability of E15?
6: Well, you know, it's uh, only January, so (laughs) it's anyone's (laughs) guess what what May 1st and June 1st is going to bring. So as you know, uh, the governors of Iowa and Nebraska have have brought this lawsuit seeking some resolution. EPA has made a commitment, you know, quote-unquote, to issue the regulations by March of this year. But as you know, that's probably too late for this year for those things to be effective. And so we're really looking toward what the administration is going to do to ensure continuity in 2024 and
0: beyond. Yep. Yep. I'm sure that's a hot topic of discussion today for uh, your CEO, Emily score there at the Iowa renewable fuel summit. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. That, that is a a top, top, top priority for the industry. Joe, good stuff. I understand it. Thank you.
6: Good. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Take care.
0: All right, that is Joe Kakish, General Counsel for Growth Energy. We've got Glenn Tonzer coming up next.
4: Time for Markets Now with the experts from Pro Farmer.
0: All right, joining us now, Pro Farmer editor Brian Grady. Beej, it's, it feels like a holding pattern, but the, the losses are starting to build a little bit in the wheat market.
7: Yeah, uh, wheat's leading to the downside here, trading about five to eight cents lower across all three of those markets, and and, uh, it it is kind of a a holding pattern. We're just uh, waiting on USDA's barrage of data tomorrow morning, and, and, uh, you know, the weekly export sales this morning uh, didn't help bulls by any means uh, on the disappointing side for corn, soybeans, and wheat, and and so uh, wheat in particular is uh, facing the heaviest pressure. Corn is also a little bit lower, one to three cents lower here at mid-morning, but we do have soybeans trading to the upside. And, and I must mention that uh, there was a daily corn sale to Mexico yeah. this morning, uh, but the market is basically brushing that off.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I guess it shouldn't be too much of a surprise that Mexico has finally stepped back in. I mean, they got a book that needs to be filled. Most of it's going to be filled with U.S. corn, right?
7: <laughs> Absolutely. And it, it's much cheaper now. Uh, you yeah. know, I mean, we've been doing nothing basically but going down. So, um, you know, step in and, and at least one buyer is uh, telling us the prices are cheap enough.
0: Yep. Boy, talk about a markets or markets that are going nowhere. This livestock trade looks really slow.
7: Yeah, so uh, live cattle and feeders both uh, tried to push to the upside uh, earlier this morning. Uh, That buyer interest has faded here at mid-morning. We are still seeing a little bit of strength in the front end of both of those markets, uh, but deferred contracts have softened and uh, basically just going nowhere, like you said. Uh, Waiting on cash cattle trade to develop. uh, um, Some uncertainties there, still expectations they will be firmer, but some uncertainties because of the weather. And then the hog market, uh, much the same, uh, February trading to the upside and the other contracts weaker.
0: Good stuff, Brian. Thank you. That is Pro Farmer Editor Brian Grady on Markets Now.
5: To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use.
3: From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time.
1: opinions expressed on agritalk do not necessarily reflect the views of farm journal broadcasting affiliate stations or sponsors the truth is hard to come by these days unless you listen to agritalk
0: and welcome back to agritalk i'm Jeff ledger with us um, as we start looking into 2024 and talking with market analysts about, uh, their outlook for the different markets. When it comes to the cattle trade and beef trade, it all comes down to the wild card and the wild card being the consumer and how consumers are going to react to changing economic conditions and, and, um, uh, uh, what it might mean for beef demand down the road, and uh, you know, trying to assess what's going to happen in the future, you got to get a good status update of what's happening right now. And we're going to do that with Professor Glenn Tonzer. He is at Kansas State University in the Ag Economy Department. There, Professor Tonzer manages the Meat Demand Monitor there at K State. Glenn, it's good to talk with you again. How are you?
8: Oh, doing well. Thanks for having me on, and Happy New Year.
0: Yeah, Happy New Year to you, too. So here we are. Let's let's get it started with the baseline uh, of what the current condition is in beef demand. How well is beef demand holding up?
8: Yeah, so a summary statement would be is, you know, as 2023 concluded, beef demand was flat or weaker compared to the year before. Depend on exactly which market channel and which product line you would ask me about. Uh, I'm giving you that summary before I lose people's numbers. Uh, I run point on the project called the meet and man monitor that's here. It's survey based and we have info for December. And then we have a little bit more dated USDA based data for November. So uh, depends on exactly which metric I'd look at. You would have either flat or down as we ended 2023.
0: You know, it, it was flat or down, but, and this is, this is one of those subjective, you know, points of view, and and I I know when we get into that, uh, you you don't like to do that on a regular basis, but flat or, or or weaker, given the supply constraints that we had in that market, it was really good enough at the end of the year to to at least stop what was 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 a bleed in that cattle market by early December, right?
8: Yeah. And Chip, probably this is where my introduction or, you know, inject here. This is not really unique to beef. Uh, If you were interviewing me about pork demand or interviewing me about chicken demand, I would have some similar comments. Um, Why am I saying that? At least the second half of 2023, so think July 4th through, you know, Christmas, we had flat, if not weakening meat demand domestically in the U.S. And I think that was macroeconomic based, not product quality, not people trying to run away from beef or pork or chicken. It was a, you know, concerns on their finances, okay. a fair number of folks, their earnings, right? W-2 paycheck was not keeping up the cost of living and their demand for several categories declined and beef, pork, and chicken is not immune from that. So uh, I think that's important. Um, there's some reasons for optimism here in 24 that might improve. I'm happy to talk about, yeah. but I really want to emphasize that none of this is really unique to beef.
0: Okay. Um, You know, I, I, I got to mention this because... We're talking about December readings on beef demand here on on the the meat demand monitor. Glenn has has prime rib become the go to on Christmas Day for a lot of families.
8: I, I, I don't know if I can be on record saying it's the, but I'm definitely happy to be on record and say it has grown in prevalence. Um, you know, if you would compare to ten years ago and certainly thirty years ago, it's a uh, you know its role in the Christmas meal. And if we're being complete here, even at Thanksgiving, so more generally other holiday meals, yeah. uh, the prime rib for some households in the U.S. is, you know, moving up the relative rank. Uh, I'm old enough to know when it was a turkey or a ham and that was into end of the yep. discussion. Uh, there's quite a few households that now they have more to choose from and or they're willing to pay up more. And, you know, that's great for the beef complex. Uh, but I'm also want to interject here, you know, the population of our country is quite a bit bigger. Uh, I'm 43, Chip. I know several of your listeners are older than that. But that is old enough to give some context. You know, when I was a kid, our country was quite a bit smaller, population wise. So there is room for all those major proteins to have a place in the celebration. You know, celebrating the holidays. Yep, and yep, prime rib yep. is definitely one that we've seen that growth occur on.
0: Yeah, yeah. I just know when you look at social media, and the social media that I uh, that that I pay attention to, good grief, it, it was pictures of prime ribs all over the place. That's got to have an impact on our overall. Demand picture and and maybe some reasons to be optimistic into 2024 as you mentioned. Let's go through some of those reasons.
8: Yeah, and I'm going to segment or you know the consumer for a moment here. One of the things I've really honed in on the last, you know, certainly three if not six months is how are your household finances compared to a year ago? And unfortunately, in December, only 14% said their finances were better than they were December of 22. So that means the bulk are you know the same or worse. Why is that important? Those that say their finances have improved consume beef, pork, and chicken at much higher rates the prior day. And the example you gave me, right? You know, okay. your willingness to put prime rib on the Christmas, you know, morning, you know, lunch table is going to be related to that as well. Um, so, unfortunately, it's a very small percentage that would apply to the optimistic point. I want to interject here that's related to our exchange is we also ask them to look forward. So instead of looking backwards, look forward to the upcoming year. And a little over 30%, so just shy of a third of those we're talking to, over 2,000 people every month, say their finances are expected to improve You know, by the time we get to December of 24, by the time they're making that Christmas decision a year from now. And I hope that occurs. Uh, if that hmm. sentiment you know, becomes reality and their finances have improved, and at the same time, we're going to have tighter beef supplies the second half of 24, tying in some of your other interviews earlier, yeah. uh, I would anticipate much higher uh, beef prices across the whole complex uh demand supported and tighter supply supported the back half of 24
0: yeah i guess that surprises me that that many people or that high of a percentage even at 30% think that that conditions are going to be better in December 2024 than than what they are in December of
8: 23 i it yep it, 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 but 70% to to don't me. Well, 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 correct. But what I'm really trying to highlight is that 30 is double the 14, right? So, sure. Okay, uh, good point. I mean, that's the point is it's not yep. like the average person on the street thinks it's going to get better, but you're twice as likely to tell me it's going to get better than that. It's gotten worse. This is the way to think about that. Yeah. But there's still macroeconomic concerns. Uh, you know, the general expectation is this you know discussion of a soft landing, or if we have a recession, it'll be small. Uh, oil prices are muted compared to in the past most evidence of inflation, you know, it exists, but it's lower than it was. I think all of that is sort of on the mind of folks when they, you know, kind of put it all around, you know, my wages versus cost of living. Um, It's good to see that 30% are more optimistic, but of course I'd love to see that number be 85.
0: Right. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. One of the things that Davis and I talk about on the show quite frequently, Glenn is, is affordability and how, uh, affordability has deteriorated over the past three years and and I just wonder if if 2024 might be the year that it really starts to show itself in some of these consumer purchasing trends well
8: it, it, and it could but keep in mind you know the affordability is impacted by lots of things and the volume that's available is one of them, right So yeah. you know most of our discussion here has been in the beef space and I jumped to you know kind of the end of 24. Um, you know, almost all analysts say we're going to have less domestic beef being produced the back half of 24. Um, if demand is flat, that's going to lead to higher prices, which for some in the U S means it's less affordable, right? That's how markets work. Um, that could be offset if we had a notable increase in demand and, you know, economic conditions, but I, 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 think it's pretty much written into stone that we're going to have less available and therefore for some, it's going to be less affordable. Okay.
0: Okay, what is your outlook for this cattle market? I'm getting mixed reactions, Glenn. Uh, you know the the question that I've been asking is: Can we go back up and at least challenge the highs that we saw in 2023, September of 23? Is that possible because of the tight supply?
8: You got to give me a time period in that question. Are you ask me tomorrow, okay. or are you ask me in the next 18 months.
0: Yeah, uh, let's go. Let's go in calendar year 2024.
8: Um, possible. I wouldn't necessarily bet on it, but I definitely think the back half of 24, that'll be the tone. Um, okay. Mainly because of my thesis earlier is, you know, the cattle on feed report we've seen. Uh, maybe we're going to get a surprise in the January cattle inventory report. But short of that big surprise, I think all the evidence is we're, we have yet to pull the trigger on expansion. Uh, I anticipate yeah. we'll attempt to do that from a limited number of heifers this summer. And that story would grow going into 2025. And the way markets pull that off is to have more expensive cattle prices out there to encourage it, right? So yeah, yeah. Um, that's my bullish thesis for the second half of 24. So it's possible. We'll challenge those highs.
0: Is it more possible as we get out to the middle of 2025?
8: Yes. Okay. Without a doubt. I, want, yep. I
0: wondered if that – you were dropping me a hint there when you said 18 months, weren't you?
8: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I was. And I mean, the other part, I don't want to get too geeky for, I mean, you're talking to a PhD economist, so I woke up geeky, but I'll try not to be too geeky <laughs> is, uh, you know, nominal prices, you know, comparing to something three, four years ago versus inflation adjusted prices that might reflect the cost of production difference today. That's, you know, geeks like me would always point out that being important. But when we're coming out of an era of six to eight percent inflation and maybe now persistent, you know, two to four percent, depending on who's measuring it where, that's a really important distinction. So just because we hit a past high in nominal terms, we may not hit it in inflation adjusted terms. Right. Right.
0: It's an important one to remember. And and you can have a high cattle price. But that doesn't mean that there's profits in the feed yard, and and uh, the cost of that calf going in and the feed and everything is is going to play an obviously an important role on the margins.
8: Yeah, and to our listeners here, you know, let's talk to the cow calf side. You know, where we're going to make that expansion decision or not to expand. Three dollar calf price doesn't get you as excited as it once did. It's still better than two, but it doesn't cover as, you know your cost as well as it did ten years ago.
0: Exactly, exactly. Glenn, that's a lot to think about there. Thank you so much, buddy. I appreciate it.
8: Thanks, Chip. Everybody stay safe this weekend.
0: Yeah, thank you. Yep, be safe out there. That is Professor Glenn Tonzer from Kansas State University. Manages the Meat Demand Monitor there at K-State.
3: From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time.
1: Do you suffer from talking on the radio phobia? No problem. Send us a tweet at hashtag AgriTalk. Welcome back to AgriTalk, everybody. Your pal Davis Michelson here with Chip Flory. Chip, I want to go back to something that uh, Greg Henderson from Drovers said. I've done a little experiment here in the, uh, the city of Fountains. I took okay. some. Uh, you know, you can you can get this dolphin-free tuna at the store. <laughs> yeah. I got the dolphin enriched tuna <laughs> just as an experiment. <laughs> okay. And I put it in the refrigerator. Yeah. All right. And then calculated how many yards okay that can of tuna was able to make in okay. uh, a 24-hour period. Yeah. Uh, to its credit, 37 yards. 37 okay. yards if I'm rounding up. All right. That's not um, bad, but it's but not going to win a lot of games. The it was all the tuna. You know? Like the dolphin oh, gotcha. part just laid there. It was okay. all the tuna. Yeah. yeah. I like our chances on Saturday.
0: <laughs> it freeze the fish. Send yeah. them home.
1: Yeah. 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 Send them back. They'll ship safer that way.
0: <laughs>
1: uh Joe Cake Okay. Freeze,
0: freeze packed into <laughs> s- single serving portions. That's right.
1: Yeah. That's right. Oh. <laughs> um the idea is to tell judges they're wrong on the RFS yeah. ruling. Uh-huh. I, okay, he went through a whole thing here. I think I understand most of it. Yep. But where he lost me was the role of geography. Yeah. in what Joe Kekish's growth energy is trying to do. Yeah. Right. Help me out.
0: Well, the RFS is a Washington-implemented uh, law. Okay. Okay. So... A district court in what was it Mississippi, Louisiana, and Texas? Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably should not be the one uh, issuing opinions, decisions on a national program that uh, that has an impact on refiners. So, in other words, it, the decision was made in refining country. Mm-hmm. So. Let's move the decision out of refining country and move it into the implementation of law country in the D.C. Circuit and make the decision there.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, because so comment, that's the
0: procedural side of it.
1: OK, OK. That makes sense. Um, it doesn't sound like he's unhappy with EPA's RFS policy. In fact, I, I wrote down that he said it actually works or could yeah. work given the chance.
0: Yeah, well, and it has worked, has Mm -hmm. worked. When you look at the number of SREs, small refinery exemptions, that have been granted under the Biden administration and compared to the Trump administration, there is no comparison, none, zero. Um, It, it, uh, you know, when there were pending SREs under the Trump administration, you just I think the industry just kind of resigned itself to the fact that no matter how hard you worked at it, no matter what the rhetoric was leading up to the final decision and the announcement, you the ethanol industry had better be prepared to be disappointed because there was going to be some SRE exemptions out there. Mm. Uh, under the Biden administration, it's the opposite. It really is uh, the, the I think the attitude has been that uh the the small refiners have not and cannot prove that economic hardship that is required for them to prove before the exemption is issued so it it uh it's really day and night it that's the bottom line
1: yeah, yeah. and
0: i don't mean to upset anybody by saying that but you know facts are facts
3: mhm
1: mm-hmm. that's yeah. it um, let's talk a little bit about Glenn Tanzer because, um, Glenn was talking about some stuff that I've noticed a bit of a trend, you know, when we're talking about, yeah, and he, he broadened it, uh, correctly, according to our experience over the last few days. It's not just beef. Right. Um, demand for meats for proteins, consumers are becoming just a little bit more savvy per strings is a little tighter. Yeah. With the meat case chip.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, I joke about how I filled the freezer at the high of the market this year, which
1: mm-hmm.
0: I did. Uh, it was it, it's still way, way, way more affordable than uh, buying meal to meal at the meat case. You see what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: Uh, it your options are limited. Yeah, I'll admit that. Uh, it, it, uh, you know, it, it, sometimes it comes down to the fact that, geez, Oh, well, look at that big pile of stew meat that we've got in the freezer. We need to start putting a dent in that. And I've got several mm-hmm. ways that I can do that. Don't get well, me sure. wrong. Well, sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but nonetheless, uh, yeah, you, you know, an a, another stew meat meal, isn't the same as walking by the meat case and saying, Hey, eh, you know what? Those ribeyes look pretty good in there. I think, Oh, yeah. just, uh, yeah. Uh, so it, the, the affordability issue that we were talking about, and then we've been talking, you and I got on this kick, dude, like six months ago now at mm-hmm. eh, four, four, at least, uh, months ago, talking about the affordability and how it is, it it is changing consumer attitudes. Well, it could catch up to him in 2024. I've expressed that concern before, yeah. and uh, you know, Glenn makes the 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 puts puts the proper perspective on it. That even if beef prices do go higher, if if overall consumption is flat, that's still an increase in overall demand because you're moving the same amount at a higher price. Mm-hmm. So that's uh that is a legitimate thing and it turns into support for the market
1: right right Yep. well so he's talking about the household finances and they stink year on year tighter beef supplies he's assuming recovering household spending in 2024 as yep. a supportive feature here but looks out to a greater likelihood of a run at the highs in 2025
0: yep. right right exactly and and if, if we had more time, I think we would have been talking about the influence of pulling the females out of the slaughter mix and, mm. and putting those bred heifers out on pasture and that one last cut in overall beef demand. Excuse me, that one last cut in beef supplies driving prices up one last time. So uh, something that we'll have to watch for. Thanks for listening this morning. Come back this afternoon. We're going to get you ready for tomorrow's USDA grain reports, winter wheat seeding, squirrelly grain stocks, uh, annual production summary, and the supply and demand report from Clark Neighbors. BIS Commodities is going to be our guest. we got a free-for-all tomorrow morning here on Agritalk.